0: It's very similar to brewing beer. The conventional technology, what you would do is take a cell and you would have a gene is capable of producing a protein product and you would insert that clone into the cell and then scale up the process, by which I mean growing it in larger and larger vats, and then go through an elaborate procedure of recovering the product the gene product that's being expressed by the cells and this is something that's basic biology you and i are doing it all the time we have our dna instructions in our nucleus and all the proteins that make us up are basically constantly being expressed so it's something that is fundamental to biology and
2: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Govind Rao. He's a chemical and biochemical engineering professor at the University of Maryland, and we're going to talk about uh, his work about what's called biologic medications on demand. So, Govind, thank you so much for coming.
0: Thank you for having me, Richard. And uh, I'm at the Baltimore County campus, and I also run the Center for Advanced Sensor Technology here.
2: Okay, excellent. Well, tell me a bit about your background, and then I want to talk about the research that you're doing right now.
0: So I'm a chemical engineer by training and then more specialized into what's called biochemical engineering. And my research has to do with how you manufacture protein-based therapeutics from the traditional fermentation and cell culture approach. All the biopharmaceuticals that you can think of from insulin to all the antibodies and the newer therapeutics that are coming out. I've been doing this for over 30
2: years. Okay, so what are some of the current research questions that you're investigating right now? So we're
0: looking at next generation manufacturing technology. So as we saw from the recent pandemic, Getting a vaccine manufactured is a non-trivial task, and we had to do that in a real hurry and at scale in terms of producing billions of doses. And it's also challenging because it's a highly regulated industry. Anything that you're going to be supplying to a patient has to pass muster through regulatory agencies. In our country, it's the FDA that has purview over these products. And rightly so, because you want to be sure that something that you're injecting into a patient is above all safe and then efficacious. And so there's a pretty high bar to achieving those standards. And so it's not, although the technology is not that different from brewing beer or making yogurt, those are both fermentation products, but because of the fact that it's bound to go into a patient, it's a very, very stringent bar that you have to cross.
2: All right. So, what is some of the experimentation you're doing? What are you trying to improve about this process and with yeah. what substances?
0: So, as I mentioned, you know, it's very similar to brewing beer. So, the, the conventional technology, what you would do is take a cell and you would have a gene that is capable of producing a protein product. And you would insert that clone into the cell and then scale up the process by which i mean growing it in larger and larger vats and then go through an elaborate procedure of recovering the product the gene product that's being expressed by the cells and this is something that's basic biology you and i are doing it all the time we have our dna instructions in our nucleus and all the proteins that make us up are basically constantly being expressed so it's something that is fundamental to biology and pretty much all organisms have that capability. But as you can imagine, growing a cell is non-trivial because you have to keep the cell supplied with nutrients at the right temperature, at the right conditions and continuously feed it oxygen. So it takes time, just like a typical brewing process can take weeks. It's the same for manufacturing these biologics or protein-based drugs. And it's a slow, cumbersome process, very capital intensive. So if you want to start a company that will produce a protein-based therapeutic, let's say you've discovered an anti-cancer protein, well, to actually make that product you would have to spend about a billion dollars to set up a state-of-the-art plant would occupy about an acre in size so think about a big brewery size and this would be typical at a Merck or a genentech or an amgen these are sort of the companies that are in the business and that is very slow very cumbersome so what we were charged to do and this was kind of interesting there is an agency called darpa For those of you aren't familiar that stands for the defense advanced research projects agency and darpa is the arm of the department of defense that's charged with blue sky research they are unusual in that they fund very high risk high reward research most of what they try fails but they are proud of it and they embrace the failure in fact they claim that 85 percent of their projects fail but boy the ones that succeed result in things like the global positioning system, or GPS, or the internet, which is making our call today possible. So those are their winners. So there was a colonel who was a DARPA program officer, Colonel Jeff Ling. And while he was serving tours of duty in Iraq and Afghanistan, he was very frustrated at the slow pace, the supply chain for getting medicines, because he was out in the middle of nowhere. And anytime he needed something or ran out of something, it had to be air shipped from Germany or stateside, very expensive, very cumbersome. And being a DARPA program manager, he had a light bulb moment saying, hey, why don't I challenge the community to come up with a process that can make me medicines on demand as in when I need them anywhere on earth. So typical audacious moonshot idea from DARPA. And so he created this program, part of their battlefield medicine program, and funded us to produce biological medicines on demand. And we were some of the fortunate people that got the funding to try this idea. Now, if you think about it, it sounds pretty crazy, right? So you're being asked to convert what takes a billion dollar plant and an acre sized plant and convert it into something that's agile, deployable anywhere on earth and without sort of all the core chain needed to keep reagents and everything in tip-top shape and functional and without having to keep the cells alive and growing. So I uh, had to turn to a new technology that was emerging, and that's called cell-free protein expression. Turns out that if you take a cell and you strip it off its nucleus, basically the DNA, all the machinery that's left behind is perfectly capable of functioning and producing the protein. You just have to add in the DNA. And so with the cell-free technology, it's almost analogous to powdered milk. You just add water and you reconstitute the milk when and where you need it. And so you can actually create a freeze-dried concoction of cell extract and you can just add some buffers and some initiating chemicals and add the DNA of the protein you're trying to make and make it within under 24 hours anywhere in the world. And so this resulted in our first sort of breakthrough where we built a compact suitcase sized device that's completely automated where you can produce any medicine that you need anywhere in the world by simply adding the DNA.
2: Okay, no, that's excellent. So it's interesting. I guess it's like a portable bench scale, more chemistry world type of thing, but you have to use chemical engineering principles because it's uh, scaled in some ways, but not in others. Or at least again, it's it's portable and somewhat scaled. So it's a really interesting problem that crosses both disciplines. You
0: know, yes, and you know another analogy is if you look at how computers evolved, they used to be room size devices that were centrally located. And now think about laptops or your smartphone. So it's the same analogy that we're bringing to bear here, where we're moving away from centralized manufacturing facilities. So if you're in a remote site, or if there's an adverse climate event, a tsunami or something that takes out your production facility, you're not dead in the water. You still have the ability to make life-saving medicines.
2: Before we continue... the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. But you don't have to make them for tons of people. You can do batch tech exactly. chemistry yeah, in small amounts.
0: Exactly. So it's analogous. Again, laptop gives you personal computing. It empowers you as opposed to relying on a mainframe somewhere far away. So it's the exact same analogy. And so we've had lots of very interesting discussions, for example, with the Johns Hopkins surgery pharmacy, we showed them the prototype. They're very interested because in their current workflow, they have to stockpile medicines. And you know all these come with expiration dates. You're guessing how much you'll need of something, or if you do open a vial, it's a certain size, And you have to blend it for the patient based on the patient's weight. And so sometimes you have leftover medicine that you're throwing away. And, you know, the estimate is non-trivial. It's estimated that U.S. hospitals lose billions each year in medicines that are perfectly good. But because they've opened the vial, they're not usable for much longer by anyone else. And so you could actually tailor how much to make for the patient do it when you need it so it could completely be
2: a new paradigm so it's like a pharmacy on demand exactly
0: exactly and in fact the program from DARPA that preceded ours was called pharmacy on demand that had to do with producing pills and small molecules ours are producing protein-based drugs that are a little more fragile
2: makes sense okay so what what stage is this project at so, what are some of the factors that that make it that it's critical for it to you know be able to be functional?
0: So, you know, again, because it has to pass through all the regulatory hurdles, we've conducted a series of animal trials where we showed that you can actually make a drug called uh, filgrastim. It's used to. Treat radiation sickness and it's FDA approved. And we were able to show that we were making it once a day for 16 days in a row to treat mice that had been exposed to radiation. And we showed that if they were treated with our drug, all the irradiated mice survived. Whereas in the control group that was injected with saline, 20% of them died. So this is sort of the proof that our System is capable of producing something safe and efficacious. And we've produced a variety of protein drugs that we're able to show, we're able to manufacture with a high degree of consistency. Another really exciting project we've embarked on with the collaboration with the National Institutes of Health, there is this very interesting little protein called Griffithsin that was isolated by Dr. Barry O'Keefe at the National Cancer Institute as part of their drug discovery program. And it turns out that it has extraordinary affinity to what are called glycoproteins. These are proteins that have sugar molecules on them. And so what Griffithson does is it binds these glycoproteins and gums up their ability to enter a cell. And if you're thinking, boy, that would be useful against coronavirus, you're exactly right. We've done a study and shown that, in fact, you can make it on demand and use it to neutralize coronavirus. So imagine if you had these manufacturing facilities set up worldwide in a distributed fashion, the next pathogen that comes out, the viral pathogen, you could actually have a strategy for nipping it spread in the bud by just treating people right there. And so this is, again, an example of the power of distributed manufacturing using the cell-free approach. It's very fast, it's agile, can be done anywhere in the world, and so it could be the next step. Well, I could
2: see, right, if there's some kind of, if you go to get tested for whatever it is, and you test positive, instead of saying, all right, go home and do this and that, or now go to the pharmacy, like right then and there, they could say, would you like, uh, you know, a custom treatment made? It'll be ready in about 15 minutes. You know they not it's not just compounding it, but they make it. they give it to you, and so you go home not only being tested but being treated. The treatment is already started right then and there
0: right, and it also you could think of things like insulin, for example, right now, you know it's in the news, it's prices being dropped by the pharmacy uh, companies pharmaceutical companies because there's been a lot of pressure on them, but essentially the same technology would be very empowering because you could make. Pretty much any protein-based drug and lower the cost of production, make it more distributed. So the monopolies would go away.
2: Hmm. Okay, interesting. So again, what stage is this project at? And is it in use anywhere yet? Or what are some of the major hurdles needed? And what's the timeline for it to, to start coming into use?
0: So right now, we've been steadily improving the capability of the system, the robustness, the amount of automation built in, because and, and some of it, it will be challenging because regulations may have to be rewritten because the current paradigm is geared towards these large factories that produce a bulk drug substance that you can quarantine while you test and make sure everything is up to spec. Now, here, you're producing something that's designed to be used right away, and so What degree of controls are you building into the process to assure the regulator that the patient will not be harmed? So that's a hurdle that has to be traversed. And we're in discussion with FDA about the kinds of things they'd like to see. And really it'll come down to somebody saying, okay, let's put it head to head with a conventionally manufactured product. Now we've done the animal trial part of it, but to take it all the way to humans is the next leg, and so it needs a sponsor that will step up to the plate. Now, that's also a bit of a challenge because this is a very conservative industry. It's it's uh, one where nobody wants to be first; everyone wants to be second because the trailblazer actually literally takes all the hard knocks and figures things out. And so, you know, it's it's a case where the early adopter will likely be a government agency, possibly the Department of Defense that can de-risk it. And once that happens, I think the technology is ready to go prime time and will result in a paradigm shift. And as is the case with any new technology, there's always an adoption time. The early adopters will embrace it. And then slowly as people see this paradigm shift, that's when it'll start taking root. So I expect within a decade, to start seeing adoption of the system because the advantages are compelling. Now, there are some drawbacks because uh, really complex proteins that that have what are called post-translational modifications or sugar residues that are attached to them or other different structural modifications, those are still done by a cell-based system, but this technology is rapidly evolving. It's really in its nascent stage And many groups have started working on it DARPA has funded a follow-on program to enable all these complex alteration of the fundamental protein backbone to take place. And so I'm optimistic. In a few years, these are problems that are easily solvable and will be solved. And it'll result in sort of the ability for people to take charge of their own therapeutic administration right in the comfort of their home at some point
2: but what kind of um drugs do you think will be most amenable to to this process what are the first few that you think are again most likely to succeed
0: Uh, so you know for example the the something called filgrastim, which is what I talked about, the radiation sickness drug, that's widely prescribed if you're taking uh, chemotherapy or radiation therapy for, for cancer patients. So right now, it's a series of very expensive injections, or it's a little continuous infusion module that you wear on your arm. Uh, and so that is something that could be the first target because you could then make it for yourself on a daily basis and dose yourself. And there's many other such antibody drugs. So another useful analogy, think of it as a Keurig coffee maker. So you would have pods that are capable of giving you different kinds of medicine that could be tailor-made for you or drug cocktails, because most people aren't just on one medication. They take different medications, depending on the various conditions that they need for.
2: And there right, are things- but, but this sounds like it's unlikely to be in people's homes where they can just do it themselves for various reasons. And I would think that the first manifestation would be at, let's say, your local hospital and then maybe your local doctor. So you're go into your local doctor and, you know, they compound it for you right there. They make it right there and they administer it. And then maybe later on, there'll be some substances that you could literally do at home. Absolutely. Or at the, you know,
0: Absolutely. It's a progression. So initially, it would be sort of in a research setting, gradually moving to maybe hospitals and pharmacies, your local CBS. You know, the, there was a concept that uh, someone in the government, Rick Bright, had proposed called Medbox, sort of like a red box video terminal where you could actually on demand, order up what you need. And it's interesting because I I gave a talk a couple years ago, and there was someone from Amazon listening in. And I said, what are you doing here? And they're like, oh, we're just looking for technologies that 10 years out might become mainstream. And I guess that's how they do their forward-looking development. And so you could imagine something like this sold through an Amazon where your prescription gets called in and your drugs made to order and drone delivered to your place. So it's not that far fetched. So I, I imagine that's why they're scouting, looking for technologies that might be
2: What what are the trade offs here? I mean, it sounds all positive. I don't know if that's possible, but there's no there's no transport time there's again you can make exactly what you need i don't know about the efficacy of the drugs they could be tailored a little bit in terms of potency Mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff but what what are again some of the what are some of the other benefits so what are some of the trade-offs or maybe what are some of the unexpected benefits that the more you think about this the more you're like "Hmm," you know that too would be better
0: so think about someone who has cancer or someone who receives antibodies for. You know arthritis like Humira or other drugs, the way we treat them now is we give them an injection of an antibody that's just put under their skin at a pretty high dose. And that serves as a depot. And the drug slowly diffuses through and keeps them going for a couple of weeks or a month, and then they go get another shot. But think about it. That's not very physiological. That's not how your body responds when it's trying to fight when your own immune system is trying to fight an invader or something foreign your cells steadily produce the antibody so now with a system like this you can titrate it much more finely and maybe deliver the medicine on a daily basis or you know every few hours something that's more physiological so you would have fewer side effects maybe more efficacy now this is all just blue sky i'm speculating but this is just based on how we currently do things and how the body actually does things. And so I think it would open up the door for trying new regimens, new treatments. And the other interesting thing is the current drugs all have to be very carefully formulated for a shelf life of several months under cold storage, stabilizers, et cetera, all of which goes away if you're making it on demand just to be injected into the patient right away. i think many different treatment regimens will open up now you ask for potential downsides there's always the possibility of misuse people could make for example you know the breaking bad analogy human growth hormone or or performance enhancing proteins like epo you know that that athletes would love to have access to so there will have to be some safeguards built in in terms of supply chain or what sort of uh, security you can build in so that the doctor pharmacy patient supply chain is not compromised Actually,
2: yeah what you could do is if you have a a machine and a setup that's going to do it you know the doctor or the professional says all right we need to make x for y you know for patient y the system checks make sure that that person has a prescription for that Looks at when the last time it was made, the dose, and all that. Reports that back to let's say some some medical agency, so they could see in real time. Okay, Doctor X is making a lot of opioids for some reason. You know, or a lot of compounds of X Y Z for some reason. Eh, Something's fishy here, where these things don't match up. So we're gonna, you know, require him to call in, or we got to go evaluate the machine, or whatever it is. But it seems like you could have controls like that, so yes. that random stuff wouldn't be made.
0: Yes. Absolutely. And there's another area of research that our labs engaged in, which is non-invasive sensors. So these are transdermal sensors that measure substances as they diffuse across the skin. So right now, if you think about it, if you're a patient, you go give your blood every few months just for a routine checkup. And based on that, you have sort of a metabolic profile. It's not very accurate because you're simply not doing it Often enough, you know, there's so many variations that take place on a daily basis, heck, even hourly basis, or depending on your sleep cycle, et cetera. So if you have the ability to make measurements of your metabolism in a more granular way, then the ability to fine tune the treatment also would improve. And so you could, to your point, you know, with the physician, of course, monitoring you, be able to give you much more tailored medicine precision medicine in a sense and have better outcomes so all this is Mm.
2: out there in the future yeah this is really cool very interesting thank you um all right well uh, govin we're just about out of time what how can people keep tabs on this you said that it looks like a 10-year hopefully less timeline until this is in use in clinics at least um so how do people keep tabs on the progress of the project.
0: we're publishing whatever results we get through peer-reviewed papers and also there's lots of coverage online people are very interested in this there's several articles that describe this work and its evolution and they're pretty easy to find
2: okay and people should look what under your name under Govan. yeah Rapp, sure yeah R-A-L. or
0: cell-free biomanufacturing or biological the medicines on demand you know these are all keywords and maybe chat gpt actually chat gpt gave a very nice summary when i asked it what it thought of producing medicines on demand using a cell free process so i was very impressed by the very thoughtful cogent response that it generated
2: Mm. okay well very good govin thank you so much for the call and i think this is a really interesting thing that you're doing that's gonna be a big time game changer so uh, again thank you for being here
1: thank you richard if you like this podcast